Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the Sassfield Podcast, where you can't become old and wise without first being young and crazy. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I hope B2B SaaS founders like you create premium valuation, capital efficient growth, and freedom so you build a business you're proud of and create a life of impact that you absolutely love. I spent some time last week with SaaS founders and our focus was knocking out constraints. You know, every leader, every founder, every CEO grapples with the constraints of growing a business at some point. Uh, They're the invisible chains that just hold us back, the hurdles that we can't seem to clear, the walls we keep running into, the ceilings we bump our heads on. And, you know, growing a business, I think, is a lot like climbing up a mountain. I mean, the higher you go, the tougher it gets. And there are rocks in your path, the air gets thinner, and sometimes it feels like you're not moving at all. You know, lots of things can cause growth to stall. You know, even leaders can, uh, intentionally or not, they can constrain growth. And they might not adapt to changes quickly enough, or maybe they fail to see the big picture because they're just dealing with a day-to-day chaos. I think we've probably all been there at one point. So how do you identify the correct root cause of these constraints? You know, it's all about being a business detective, I think. I mean, you need to ask the tough questions, analyze the right data, and dare to confront the hard truths. You know, a deep dive into your business operations, sales performance, customer feedback, market trends is often needed to kind of unearth the real issues. You know, outside perspective can be extremely helpful as well. But identifying the problem is only half the battle. So let's talk about three ways to break through these growth constraints. And these are things that the SaaS founders and I were talking about last week. The first one is to embrace innovation. And you're like, hey, I'm a tech founder. I embrace innovation every day. But innovation is not just about products. Don't be afraid to shake things up. It's about processes, business models, ways of thinking. Get around people who think differently than you do. Get that uh, perspective that you don't have. Get that visibility into your organization to see things that maybe you don't see. The second is I would say focus on the customer and listen to your customers. As companies grow, it can put more and more distance between the customer and executive leadership. A customer-centric approach can often lead you to growth opportunities that you never even considered. But if you have that distance, then you never have the opportunity to see those and experience that and and be able to capitalize on those ideas. And the third one is invest in people. Your team is one of your greatest assets, investing in their skills and providing them with the right tools to create, foster, a culture of collaboration can do wonders for growth. So it's not just about up-leveling your skills, but your team as well. And that culture of collaboration, too many times I've seen misalignment or it's an us versus them mentality. And that will absolutely crush the growth curve every time. You know, our guest today has some things to say about that alignment, uh, particularly between marketing and sales. 
but you know, I talk a lot about growth as a journey. It's not a destination. It's about learning, adapting, and finding ways to keep moving forward one step at a time. I mean, after all, the view from the top of the mountain is worth every challenge you face during the climb. So let's scale those business peaks together. If you're going to be at Ascent in San Francisco next week, let's connect. And same for SaaS stock in Austin here in a couple weeks at the end of the month. There's a lot going on. But if you're going to be at either one of those events, look me up. Say hello. would love to meet you. Today's episode is sponsored by the book Small Fish, Big Pond, building a world-class business that swims circles around competitors. So why do some SaaS companies achieve explosive growth while others sink into the depths? Why do some solutions inspire fierce loyalty while others are just interchangeable? And what can we as SaaS leaders learn from the world of fish? Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around clients, and guide their buying journey to conclude that your company is the only solution for them. It includes step-by-step frameworks and time-tested growth tools to attract ideal clients, convert them, and transform them into brand ambassadors for you. So pick up the book, ebook, or audio today at smallfishbigpond.com or your favorite book source, wherever that may be. Our founder guest on Tuesday was Brandon Metcalf, multi-time founder, investor, and advisor, founder and CEO of Place Technology. It's a solution built for SaaS companies, uniting subscription management, rev ops, and billing with financial forecasting, cash management, and business analytics. Great conversation with Brandon, and his insight is fantastic because he's done this multiple times. On our expert series a week ago, we had Sam Lukajanan. He is CEO and founder of OneScreen.ai. It's a marketplace provider for buying and selling of out-of-home advertising. So imagine being able to track and attribute mass marketing just like we do digital. This is amazing, amazing stuff. If you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Ryan Rood, founder and CEO of Lake One. They're a HubSpot solutions provider and B2B growth firm. Lake One teams up with B2B brands like you and me to build and optimize revenue systems by developing laser-focused strategies to reach their buyers, implementing sales and marketing-aligned tech stacks, and adding an extra set of heads to get the work done. So heads, not hands, right? Welcome someone who is bringing teams together to create awesomeness, Ryan Rood. Hey, Ryan, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Hey, Jeff. Great to be here. So tell me a little bit about Lake One. How did you start that? How did you get into digital marketing? Yeah, so Lake One, uh, we, we work with B2B brands to help them, you know, figure out how to build and optimize their revenue machines. Um, that starts with, you know, what's the go-to-market strategy look like? What's the tools and technology to make that scale? And then how can we be an extra set of hands to help them execute that? Um, I started Lake One. A, a bit out of necessity. I was at a startup that was winding down, trying to figure out what my next gig was going to be. Um, and I wasn't sure what it was going to be. I had a couple of board members from that company reach out and say, hey, we love your approach to you know marketing, digital marketing, and kind of the whole landscape. If you don't know what you're going to do next, we'll, we'd love for you to come and do some of this uh, in a consulting capacity for our business. Um, and that was, that was the start of it. That was the genesis of it. I had my first couple clients that way. That's great. 
What do you think the, the most important piece of digital marketing is? Yeah, so it's funny because a lot of times people will ask the digital guy, you know, what channels, what, you know, what cool new technology are you are you thinking about? I actually got my start in journalism and PR, so I have a passion for, for the story, the power of the story. Um, and when it comes to digital, I always think that people need to really get their what and their so what down. Um, make, you know, you can spend all the money and time in the world getting the, the tools, the channels down. But if you don't have, you know, the answer to the why should I care about you figure it out when somebody gets to your website, when they get to the salesperson, you're going to spend all that time and energy and waste an opportunity for a sale. That makes a lot of sense. And, and it is easy to get drawn into, you know, what channel, how do I make my ads perform better? You know, is this color going to do better than the, yeah. that color? Can I change this button? Yeah. But it, it really comes down to the story. You know, why should people care about my business? And what are things that we can do to really tell a great story and make it where people are engaged and care and, and want to, to hear more? Yeah. So the first thing is stop making it about you. Um, put put your customer, put your client, put your prospect um, in the hero chair of the story. And this is this is really hard. And I see this a lot in B2B. B2B wants to sell features. B2B wants to sell, you know, the pain that we're, we're solving for. Um, but at the end of the day, people buy from people. They don't buy from, you know, from logos. So we want we all want to feel something. We all want to be moved by something. Um, so remember that on the other side of that screen, there's a human being that you need to move to take the next step um, and put them in the in the hero seat of, of the story. Um, ways that that comes to life is in the copy, you know, so thinking about writing copy that is through their point of view. So instead of saying we, 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 we all over the website, start writing it kind of in, in that third person in, in their tone of voice. That's really good advice. We've seen a lot of websites that, uh, that that don't do that, and it's really a hard thing to do, even if you know it. Mm -hmm. Is there a mindset or you know something that people should be thinking about, or as they start to write that copy? Yeah, and it, it is really hard. We do it ourselves at, at our company. The way that, that I force ourselves out of it is I get outside help. I mean, we are, we're still a digital firm, so I, I'm not bashful of saying we need outside help to, to get this positioning right and to get these things right. Um, Oftentimes that turns to having somebody talk to our customers, talk to our customers to explain in their own words what it is that they they like about us, what it is that brought them to us, what it was that we've done to help um, move their business forward. And taking that, you know, plain English, plain language and using that as as the copy that we use. Interesting case in point, things like some of the language that, that we've learned to kind of embrace and adapt in our business um, is this notion of like being an embedded partner that came directly from our clients. We didn't build that language up. That was actually direct feedback from clients that they perceived us as an embedded partner and that that's what they were looking for. And that just kind of became part of the vernacular that we use. That's really smart in listening to them. Well, following this this path of making them the hero, it seems like, you know, in, in the consumer side that that maybe is a little bit more clear, but B2B, how do we do that? How do we make the end client the hero of the story? Yeah. Um, it, and it's funny, too, because B2B is always kind of perceived as this, you know, 
dry kind of boring you know world we you're a manufacturing client and you make widgets how do you you know how do you create great content and tell great stories the best way to describe it is to flip the script upside down so again if let's just take a, a a manufacturing client, for example. So we work with a manufacturing client here in Minnesota that produces the chemical manufacturer that produces um, materials for the telecom and utilities industry. And one of the products that they manufacture um, is a kind of like a foam that you inject in a wood utility pole. And the foam is really popular in the Southern United States where there's a lot of woodpeckers. And these woodpeckers peck holes in the utility poles. And historically, the only way to solve this would be take down a utility pole, put up a new one when there was so much damage done, which is an enormous amount of work for utility companies because you have to take lines down, run new lines. So this foam, you inject it into the pole, it expands and it hardens just like wood. So you can tell the story of the product. Okay, it's a, a foam that expands and hardens just like wood. Or you can tell the, pro the story of all of the other things it does and the people that it impacts where all of a sudden now you're not taking down lines, you're not putting, you know, the grid down for a while, you're not affecting people's day to day because of, you know, the energy being stopped. Like there's, there's so many different ways to kind of create a very interesting story. And you can also create a really interesting villain in this story, a woodpecker, and it becomes much more compelling. Whereas at the beginning, you're just selling a product of foam that hardens and is, you know, hardens like wood, you suddenly start telling a story that puts people in the center of it. And it's kind of more interesting and compelling. And that makes sense. And it allows somebody to put themselves in that place. Because what's really interesting is that actually happened um, recently. Last month, we had new utility poles put up. We have lots of woodpeckers. And, uh, and you know, so the internet was down for uh, the majority of a day. Because the, the grid is down and you know, we, we knew it was coming, but that doesn't make it any better. So it's one of those things you can relate to and you go, you know, I get that. Yeah. And so I think you're right. When we tell a story that, that engages that way, it, it makes the, the, the end client, the prospect say, yeah, that's right. Or me too. Because you know, totally. they've experienced that. Yeah. yeah so we're totally. drawing them in. Yeah. So how do we empower them with story? So how that's, do we you know, really kind of put them in that the driver's seat? Yeah, that's where now my day-to-day, -day, the digital side starts to come in, is you start to think about all the different ways that story comes to life, right? So right now, I just kind of told you the story off the cuff, but then you start to figure out how do we take that story and create that story and put it out. That's where channel starts to come into play. So right now, you know, things like short form episodic con video content is huge. And this is where then we start having conversations again with, you know, B2B players that are saying, if you say TikTok, I'm going to scream because that's not at all what we want to be doing. But the reality <laughs> is like the majority of content that's getting consumed right now is TikTok style short form video content. And when you see all of the major players, Google, Facebook, YouTube, I mean, all of them are moving towards being competitive with that style of content to be consumed. You have YouTube shorts, you have Facebook stories, Instagram reels, all of them are 
are going towards that. And there's an opportunity to think about that exact same story that I just told you about of, you know, the villainous woodpecker pecking away at a, at a utility pole and this, this foam, like you can start to piece together a way that the story comes to life in kind of a fun, interesting sort of way that gets told in 90 seconds and can be consumed and be shared by anyone from you and I who, whose life is impacted by lines going down all the way up to being seen by, you know, the engineer at the utility company that goes, oh, there's a way to solve that for the people in my neck of the woods. And that's fun, too, because then they look at it and they go, hey, I can bring this idea yep. to life and, and I can be the hero. And ultimately, that's maybe their goal is they want to be promoted. And so that's, that it's really kind of, you know, what does the buyer really want? Exactly, exactly. It always comes down to figuring out, you know, what is that objective that you're trying to solve for somebody? Everybody has the, you know, I'm trying to mitigate risk in my job. I'm trying to, you know, please my boss to figure out how I get that next promotion. I'm trying to solve for the bottom line. There's always that. We all know that, right? But those are really boring storylines to write to directly. But there are ways to write to them and still tug at that emotional string. So what is a company that you know that that does a really good job of putting the the client and making them the hero of the story? Yeah, so I just started seeing these um, ads locally here in the Twin Cities, and they've done it both out of home in billboards. I'm seeing it on connected TV ads. It's a company called Gusto. They, they do payroll. Um, love those guys. ADP. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Gusto. Um, but what I love is that they tell the story of all the different types of small businesses that they support. And it can be everything from, you know, renewable energy to, you know, small healthcare. Um, and the way that they tell the story is that they're supporting all of this interesting innovation by empowering the employees behind all of this work. Um, and I think that's just really interesting because again, at the end of the day, it's a payroll company. I mean, it, if you're selling on features, there's a dozen large payroll companies, right? You've got ADP, right. you've got Paycor, you've got all of these. And at, at that point, it kind of becomes a, a moot point to try to sell on the same feature. But if all of a sudden you have this community that is supporting, you know, entrepreneurs, business owners, the employees behind the scenes that are doing all of this great innovative work, it's a much more compelling story. And that's really interesting. It, it's a, a great take. On, on what they're doing because they could just say, hey, we have better payroll or, or you know, we're more user friendly or those kinds of things. And a lot of times as tech people, that's the story we want to tell because yeah. it's about us. It's about our You're product. Right. right. But they're really spotlighting their clients yeah. and saying, you know, look what they're doing. And, and we're just the, the technology behind it that makes that happen. I think that's really cool. Yeah. It's funny because it's always been um, I found myself often in my career, both client side and in-house sitting in, in this weird little intersection between, you know, the, the marketing seat sales and the technology seat where there's this constant battle between, you know, the technology and product teams that create these fantastic 
you know, features and solutions, the sales team that's selling the features and solutions, and then marketing that's trying to position it all. Um, and honestly, like where the genesis of the story comes from is when all three of those groups really come together and start to think about, you know, what is that story arc that we're trying to sell? Because sales is going to sell the feature and the pain point that the most recent one that they heard product and the technology team is building for the one that's coming and marketing is trying to figure out, you know, how do we tell a story that attracts as many people to this as possible? And no single part of that team is responsible for really figuring out how to put customers at the center. It takes all three to make it happen. So what are some big reasons you've seen marketing campaigns fail? (laughs) (laughs) Has any campaign ever failed? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yes, (laughs) yes. Some of the most common things that I see is impatience. Um, People... just didn't give it enough time. The most common is the hippo. The hippo came in and made it fail. And what I mean by the hippo is the highest paid person's opinion. So somebody came in and either torpedoed an idea because it wasn't theirs and they thought theirs was better based on no data. Um, They came in and decided, hey, I was at a conference and heard this other thing. We should go do that now instead, even though we just got this off the ground. I mean, you can go down a list of all of the, hey, what about, what if we did, I just heard, I don't wanna, I think we should, based with no data. Um, That's probably the most common problem for marketing campaign failure. And it's a hard one to combat. It's a really hard one to, to fight with. That's really good. The hippo. The hippo (laughs) killed it. The hippo (laughs) killed it. Yeah, death by hippo. So how do we make better data-driven decisions? You know, where does the data come from? You know, what, what, uh, you know, who should have that decision if it's not the hippo? Yes. And it certainly can be the hippo. The hippo can have a, have a part of the, you know, discussion. The best way to make better data driven decisions is to all be in agreement on what the data is that we're looking at. The challenge oftentimes is, and this is where, you know, a lot of the work we do on a day to day basis of driving sales and marketing alignment is you can have, you know, multiple members of the revenue team sitting around a table thinking they all agree on what the metrics are that they're looking to. But when, you know, somebody like me or somebody from my team comes in and really drills in and we're backing, you know, up backwards from the revenue metric to figure out how we actually get there. And we ask questions, you know, about qualified pipeline, things like that. And we say to the, you know, CMO, the head of sales, the chief finance officer, how do you define a qualified opportunity? What does a qualified you know, sales opportunity look like to you? We get three different answers. So that's where we start to go, okay, well, that's why we can't be a data-driven organization because we don't have agreements on what the data even is that we're measuring. So that's where you have to start. You have to get an agreement and alignment around that. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, everybody is, is looking at, at something and, you know, one person says it's blue, another person says it's green, another person says it's yellow, and you're like, why? What's the problem here? It's the same data. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's really smart. I mean, everybody having a seat at the table, including the hippo, I think that's that's yeah. a good thing. But not not just being completely driven by that, but everybody having that different perspective, I think is really helpful. Yeah. 
and knowing that while there's those different perspectives, once there is that agreement on this is the data point, we've agreed that it is blue or it is green or it is yellow, whatever it is, then you can have the discussion on what are the leading indicators around that that matter. And also then start measuring those and seeing, do they actually matter? Are they making an impact on, you know, that variation of, you know, if we do this, if we do this, does it actually make a difference to driving qualified pipeline? Does it actually make a difference to whatever that metric is that we're trying, that we're tying to what the business objective is? And I think that's a really important point is defining what that business objective is and then choosing a metric that, that measures that. Yes. Not just choosing a metric and trying to make it fit the business or, hey, we want to grow, so we're going to measure, you know, whatever. Yeah, they're the worst thing you could possibly do is to have no metric or just pick a random metric and then try to work it in backwards, you know, over the course of the year. Um, and a lot of times we'll have clients that come to us and, and we'll be, you know, having this conversation with them of saying, what are your goals? What are you trying to measure? And there's some... Um, anxiety around it because there hasn't ever been that pressure of let's actually you know put a stake in the ground that says we're gonna set revenue goals of this which is going to lead to this much qualified pipeline which is going to you know require this much you know sales at bats and this much from from marketing there's this apprehension that once you set these numbers failure to hit them is a bad thing, especially when you're setting those initial numbers. And I always have to remind people that it's an iterative process. Quarter by quarter, you're looking to see how you're doing. And failure to hit them out of the park right away is actually a good thing because you're figuring out what's not working so you can get closer to figuring out what's going to work so you can knock it out of the park and then start doing more of that and figure out how you move the goalpost. So how do we know that just the timeline, how do we know whether to stick with something or to kill it? I mean, how do we know when it is working or when it isn't working? Exactly. That's your question. Yeah. So this goes back to that aligning the team on the metric that matters, right? So let's take the example of saying, you finally get, you know, the leadership in agreement on what qualified pipeline looks like. We know it's companies of this size, this role, they are expressing this type of interest. We know this much information about them. Once you can get agreement on that, starting to look at what some of those leading indicators are, are we getting traffic from companies like that? Are we getting people on content that is indicating their readiness to buy? using survey tools and feedback tools within the website to see if we're answering questions because it will take a little bit of time before you know leads start pouring in and sales is able to have the conversation of is there an opportunity here but there's early indicators so if you have you know tools like hubspot lets you use, use reverse ip look up to see what companies are visiting your website lead feeder does the same thing lead vendor does the same thing those are early indicators if a program is achieving the objectives that you're setting out. 
that can only be a leading indicator when the leadership team is in agreement on what that metric is that matters that's going to drive the business outcome. So to answer your question, the only way you're going to be able to know when to call it quits is to be able to identify what that early indicator is. And the only way you're going to be able to identify what that early indicator is, is to get the leadership in agreement on what the metric is that's going to have the impact on the business. And that's a really good plan. That makes a lot of sense. And getting the order of things correct yeah, to, to get that right outcome. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times what you'll have is, especially in very sales-driven organizations, is a lot of focus on the pipeline, a lot of focus on activity, but not a lot of focus on what drives acti- what drives what that momentum is of driving activity into the sales team beyond sheer force from the sales team, you know, pounding the pavement, calls, events, things like that. Um, So there's a shift oftentimes for organizations that are trying to think about how do we start to build a more scalable revenue machine that is sales and marketing aligned. And that's a hard one sometimes for people to, you know, make that shift from, well, traditionally revenue has grown because sales has forced it come hell or high water to sales and marketing are working together to create this flywheel effect of creating opportunity. I like that flywheel of opportunity is, uh, that is key. What we want. How has the, the client journey evolved and the way that people buy over the years? Yeah. So I'm going to focus on a very short period of time of, of that of evolution. Um, because I think that seeing how quickly things have changed over the course of the pandemic has been very pronounced. Um, obviously, there was some lead up prior to that. You know, it's validated through things like HubSpot's success with the inbound methodology, consumption of content, things like that. Um, but what is fascinating to me is how quickly businesses that are or were, I should say, hesitant to adopt a digital infrastructure into their business were forced to do so and seeing the implications of that. So seeing things like manufacturers really move quickly, seeing things like hospitality, restaurant, like uh, like all these businesses that were really focused on, I'm used to selling face-to-face. I'm used to living on foot traffic and people, you know, coming downtown to have a night out. Overnight, had to figure out, how do I do this differently? Um, right. Because otherwise I'm not going to have a business because this thing we're, we're dealing with, we don't know how long it's going to be. And to some extent, you're still kind of dealing with it in a weird sort of way. So what's been interesting for me in this is seeing the innovation that's come out of that is seeing, you know, innovation coming from industries that you wouldn't think were that innovative. So for example, we have, we've seen restaurants convert their space into test kitchens. So all of a sudden, instead of having one concept, they're able to take the talents of their chefs to, you know, produce three, four, five, six concepts. So from a, you know, from a consumer experience, good consumer journey, we're exposed to a whole lot more from that one, one central kitchen. 
in B2B all of a sudden, we're having to figure out how we can make, you know, provide context and create connection with people that we're used to seeing face to face. And to some extent, that I don't think is going to change much. I think it's easier for us to scale that. It's much easier for you and I have never met, for example. Um, we may someday, um, we may not, but it's much easier for you right. and I to, to have a conversation and to build a relationship and rapport this way. And I think, you know, the, the buyer prefers this, like this is, this is easier for me. I can have this conversation with you in the comfort of my own home. If I want to go to an event, I can. I think that the buyer has just become even more in the driver's seat and the brands that understand that and lean to the buyer are the ones that will continue to succeed. That makes a lot of sense. It's really making it easy for them, meeting them where they are instead of doing things the way that maybe we want them to be or the way they used to be. (laughs) Chasing that nostalgia. They used to be. That's the way we've always done it. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Well, where can people find out more about you and about Lake One online? Yeah, so you can check us out at lakeonedigital.com. I'm on LinkedIn as well, um, and I'm very active um, on LinkedIn. So definitely, you know, connect with me there. I'm happy to have a conversation. Fantastic. I've really enjoyed our conversation today, Ryan. Thanks, Thanks for being on Thanks. Fuel. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, Ryan, for coming on the show and sharing your great insights and your journey. You can learn more about Ryan at lakeonedigital.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. If you're getting value out of the show, please subscribe or follow us there at sasfuel.com on whatever platform or on YouTube. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a 404 error doormat, ensuring that even unexpected visitors know that you have a sense of humor. Um, If you can't find it, I guess there's a 404 error uh, doormat not found. Join us next time where our guest is Dennis Kelly, six-time founder and currently the founder and CEO of Postalytics, who helps marketers reach their audience via direct mail. Is direct mail a viable channel in today's market? We'll come back next week and check it out. And a week from today on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have a brand expert, Bobby Gillespie. Bobby G., Bobby G is a founder of Proper Design. They don't just build cool brands. They create full-on brand strategy and marketing that resonates. It's a great conversation. He is an amazing character. So I will see you next time. And until then, as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!